Right, church family, good morning. I am Craig Bauer, and uh, nice. I'm Craig Bauer, and I am part of the pastoral team here at Country Oaks. I'm also a vocational or staff pastor here. My training is specifically in uh, biblical counseling, so I do a lot of the counseling here at the church and uh, am privileged and blessed to do so. So at the beginning of the month, um, we're talking about the Heiners are getting ready to have a baby. Obviously, they're here this morning, so that is, this is not that weekend. But uh, there's nothing worse than, than getting that call on Saturday night that I'm not going to be there. Can you cover tomorrow? So uh, our loving pastor has thought ahead and asked all of us to, uh, to be covering. So um, he asked me uh, early in the month and, I, and asked me, was there something I wanted to preach on? And I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about this morning because it is something that had been on my heart for a while uh, and it starts like this. My 18-year-old daughter, our youngest, is away at college. She's in a university. She's at an overtly Christian university. She came home after the first few weeks, and she was, uh, I would say, distraught, maybe even you know, overwhelmed with the fact she's having conversations in her dorm with other girls at a Christian university about things like abortion, that it's a woman's right, that it's not murder, that homosexuality is a, is a valid choice, and God is okay with it. She was having conversations with them about the Bible, about the gospel, what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't. Um, they were uh, unable to really articulate the gospel, really, you know, other than it was the first four books of the New Testament. So a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, misinformation. Uh, many of them were doubting their salvation. Many of them didn't even know if they believed if God were true or not. So these hot debates um, were, were happening there. And uh, our other three kids, who also, they're older than her, had also been at Christian universities and said, oh, yeah, Dad, that's how it is. Um, again, this is an overtly Christian university, so we're maybe surprised that the, that the young people there are struggling in this way. <clears throat> With a little bit of research, looking at the Lifeway research study of uh, 2019, we found that um, nationwide, 70% of the young people that are growing up in the church are walking away from the church by the, by the age of 18. It's 2023. I can't imagine it's any better by now. So um, th- this is concerning. And I think that church, this is, we need to sound the alarm. There should be a sense of urgency here. And I, and I believe the Holy Spirit is inspiring that sense of urgency as I shared with Nathan, this is what I wanted to be talking about. He said, oh, that's on my heart too, Craig. And I think you've noticed that in his messages over the course of the last month. Uh, God in his providence, uh, Anita and I had gone to visit our son. Uh, we went to visit our, our son to go to church with him, to meet his pastor, hear his pastor, pastor preach. And in God's providence, there was a guest speaker. Go figure. So we went and sat down. The guest speaker um, opens up scripture, and guess what he's talking about? He's talking about the very same thing, about the call on the church, not just the moms and dads, not just the grandmas and grandpas, but you, the church family, the call on the church to declare to the next generation the goodness of God. It, it rests on us, brothers and sisters. It rests on us, not just moms and dads, not just grandmas and grandpas, not just aunts and uncles, but on us, the church family. Um, so if you would, turn with me to Psalm 78. It's going to be our anchor text for today. Um, this is where we're going to be for uh, 
taking most, most of our message from today. Psalm 78. <clears throat> Excuse me. Love the sound of rustling paper. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, as we get there, Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and of his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their generation that the next generation might know them, the generation yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So the rest of uh, this psalm, Asap recounts God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. He's going to recap Israel's rebellion in the wilderness and their loss of the ark. And then he's going to finish up with the hope of God's redemption. This masculine is a reminder that God's people lack faith, that we're rebellious, that we're ungrateful, we're unfaithful, we're unreliable, we're stubborn, and we're selfish. But it's also the ongoing story of God's patience, his mercy, his grace, his commitment to us, and his wonderful love for us. Let's go ahead and pray. And I just wanted to mention, you know, when we pray during church, um, sometimes it feels as though it's a transition. Um, Right now, we're not praying to transition anything. Right now, we're going to be praying and asking God, um, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, to open our hearts, to open our ears, to soften our hearts that we would hear and quicken our hearts that we would respond. That as we leave this place today, we would be more like his son, Jesus Christ, more willing to obey. So if you'd like to pray with me, that's great. If you'd like to pray on your own, uh, I would encourage that as well. But let's do pray now. Father God, We thank you for the wonderful institution, the wonderful time of communion with you, Lord, that we call communion, of fellowship with one another, of fellowship with you. Lord, um, right now you have prepared our hearts through uh, submitting ourselves to you and worshiping you in song, fellowship, the Lord's Supper. Lord, uh, I pray that we are ready to hear from you, that our hearts are ready to hear from your word. Holy Lord, I pray that um, you would just soften our hearts, that we wouldn't be stubborn, that we wouldn't be rebellious, but instead we would say, yes, Lord, yes, what would you have us do? Here I am, Lord, pick me. Father, um, you have charged us with a great commitment, with a great command here to tell tell of you and teach the next generation about who you are. Lord, I pray that uh, as we look uh, today at your word, that uh, we would as you promised, you, you promised us that your word never goes out void. So we look forward to what you're going to do um, through your word today in our hearts. In your name we pray, Almighty God. Amen. Well, Psalm 78 is a mass kill, which is a contemplation, an insight, or, or a wisdom literature. You know, much like a proverb, proverbs are more short and concise, but the wisdom literature, a mass kill um, is a wisdom literature that takes place in a story form. Um, This also, 78, also happens to be the first historical psalm. 
<clears throat> excuse me. So this author, um, Asaph, we find him, find out more about him in First and Second Chronicles. There we see that David and um, Asaph were considered to be the most skilled poets and musicians of their day. Also, too, we see that, um, that Psalm 78 was used in the temple and that um, Asaph, who was the head of the temple choir, used this as a, a regular reading with their worship services. So it's a pretty important, not, not that all the Psalms are, are, that any are any less important, but certainly 78 um, was used much and has an important place in Hebrew history. So let me, um, let me read it again. This time, let me kind of read into it a little bit. Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. My people. He's talking in, in warmth and love. This is, he's, this is a, uh, a fatherly way of communicating. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Exclamation point. Um, the Hebrew language here has ex, ex, um, exclamatory language, um, giving us the exclamation point, uh, point that doesn't exist in Hebrew. But what he's saying is, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Hey, no, really, pay attention. This is important. Hear me now. Verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will open my mouth into the story that has a deeper meaning. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Dark sayings, not ominous like that sounds, but kind of riddles. Things that are, you know, maybe hard to understand. I will, uh, I will utter dark sayings from of old, uh, things that we have heard and known. There's nothing new here, but I'm going to help you understand. Things that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them, the things that we know about the Lord, from their children. But we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and of his might and the wonders that he has done. We're going to tell them his glorious deeds. The praises, the things that, that God should be praised for that he has done. Okay, the, the, again, the language here, glorious deeds. Um, it is a, it, praises is part of the Hebrew word structure here, but also that action, the deeds part of it. So it's translated glorious deeds, the things that, should, that God should be praised for that he has done, his might, his power, his strength, and fierceness. We find fierceness in the uh, description here in the, uh, the uh, dictionary, uh, the, the, uh, uh, diction, the dictionary's description of the word, translation of the word, and the wonders that he has done, the amazing, miraculous things that God has done. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Why should we, te why, why should we be teaching the children? Verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them or teach or declare them to their children. Why is that? So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So, you know, we're, what we're looking at here is basically um, a, um, a written account of their oral tradition. Remember that the Hebrew people... Um, were an oral, a people of oral tradition for thousands of years. They'd pass things on, fathers to sons, grandpas to, to grandsons, you know, or, or to families, you know, from the top to the bottom down, telling these stories. Um, Asaph and David didn't live in the time of the Exodus and all of these things, which is what the rest of this psalm um, 
recounts, the Exodus account. They didn't live in those times. They knew of them because of the oral tradition. Well, now they've been written down. So as I mentioned, they use this in the temple. So this is something that was used in the temple, but it was also something that was told, um, you know, told by the, the fathers to the sons, to the parents to the kids, to the grandparents to the grandchildren, and so on. Um, he says, you know, that they should set their, and why, we tell, why do they tell these things? The first generation um, hands down what they know to the next generation, then to the third, and so on. This is how most human knowledge is passed down. Most of us, um, not to say that we don't read, uh, that we don't learn through the reading of books, but primarily information is passed down um, mouth to ear. And up until 150 years ago, most people didn't read. So it was almost all oral tradition. So this is an important part of it, but yet reading is as well. We see both here. So why is it that, they, um, that we should pass these things down? We want our children, verse 7, that they would put their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Um, because what happens if we don't? Look at verse 8. We would become like our fathers, stubborn and rebellious, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, a generation whose heart was not ready to hear and obey God, a generation whose spirit was not faithful to God. They knew God. They believed that God was true, but they didn't believe in him in a way that changed the way they lived their lives, that caused them to act in a way that was pleasing to God. It says their spirit was not faithful to God. They were fickle and unreliable. So what are we going to do with all of this? What, what's, what's the point here? Asaph has two major points that I see in this part that we've read here. The first is, is that we are never more than a generation or two away from godlessness. We see that. We see it in Scripture. We see it in Scripture over and over again. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen it even in our own lives, maybe not personally, but in the lives of people that we know. We see it, it goes on, and it, it happens so quickly. It's like this. We're never more than a generation or two away from godlessness. And the other, um, the other thing is that um, furthering of the kingdom of God is our responsibility. It's going to take intentionality. We need to be diligent in teaching our children, our grandchildren, and the next generation about the glorious deeds of Yahweh we see. We need to be teaching them of his might. We need to be teaching them the wonderful things that he has done. It's also important that our children, that the next generation is confident in who God is, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Um, if this sounds familiar to you, it is. It's all over the, it's all over the Bible. I don't, if if uh, Sound Booth, bring up Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Familiar verse, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on Joel 1.3 mentions this, Psalm 102, Psalm 145, Isaiah 38. We see it all through the Proverbs. We see it in the New Testament as well. This is important, um, and these are, uh, is a top priority to us if we're going to see the next generation um, be godly people, follow in the footsteps of the Lord. So as I mentioned, the first instruction is the Hebrew people were uh, people of an oral tradition. Once God's story was written down, though they incorporated reading, um, along with the storytelling. We need to do the same. 
we need to tell the next generation we also need to be reading God's word with and to them. Um, they need to be confident that God's word, the Bible, is not only the highest source of authority, it is the sole source, source of authority. They need to know that the Bible is absolute truth and absolutely true. 2 Timothy 3.16. No need to turn there. We'll bring it up on the board. Uh, most, many of you know it by heart already. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's important that our children know that the Bible is sufficient. It's authoritative. And when it's interpreted properly, it provides the guidance and information necessary to create a godly heritage for us to pass this along to the next generation. Peter declares the, um, the Bible the living word of God. So does the writer of Hebrews. Jesus himself calls it the everlasting truth. The Bible is God's revelation of himself and his purposes throughout history. Jesus himself taught that the scriptures reveal who God is. God has completely revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus, who we know through the word of God. And the Bible also tells us how to live. It tells us what God's expectations are of us. The Westminster Shorter, uh, Westminster, pardon me, Shorter Catechism states it simply. The scriptures princip principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So how many of you believe that the Bible is God's word? How many of you believe that? Good. All right. Well, how many of you believe that God's word is true? Amen, I do as well. How many of you are confident that it's absolutely true? All right. Please don't raise your hands when I ask this next one. How many of us actually live out these beliefs when we have problems, when we have trials and tribulations? How many of us really live like we believe that the Bible is true? Thank you, brother. Where's the first place we go when we have trials and tribulations, when we have troubles, when we have problems? It's the first place we go is to our friends, maybe our friends at work, um, secular friends, maybe even Christian friends. Not necessarily a horrible thing. But is that the first place we go? Do we Google it? Do we go to DuckDuckGo? Um, do we turn to the world's so-called professionals? Or do we turn to the pages of Scripture, to the pages of God's Word? Do we turn to the wisdom of God's inspired and errant Word? Do we turn to Him? I would just encourage you this way. It is important that our young people, that the next generation sees us reacting to the hard things of life in, in a way that is scriptural, in a way that is prescribed in God's word. Um, if the next generation is to survive the war that's being waged by Satan through this culture, they must be fully convinced that scripture is God's actual word and the source of all truth. And from the truth, we know who God is and what he expects from his people. So since more is caught than taught, we need to be modeling this. Yeah, we need to be supermodels. And I know that's a nebulous term, a scary term, but we need to be supermodels. We need to be modeling this. Our children need to see our Bibles in our hands. And they need to see them in our hands often. They're not just mom and dad. Grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, older brother, older sister, church family members. This is a call on us all. Interesting uh, verbiage here when it says in, in uh, 
Psalm 78, verse 4, he says, We will not hide the things we know about the Lord from their children. Not our children, their children. Their children, the collective. We are all in this together. This is God's calling us. We need to be diligent in, in being a part in one another's lives. That's why God has called us into community together here. We're brothers and sisters, but we're not just brothers. Are any of you brothers and sisters with any of your family members for an hour and a half only one day a week? Now, maybe some of you might say you want to be brothers and sisters with them only an hour, but no, we're not. Um, and and we, we need to remember that. We, can't, we don't just bob in and out of this family relation, this familial relationship. We are family. We are bought and paid for. We're owned by God. We're, our Heavenly Father um, considers us all to be his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, all the time. So our children need to see our Bibles in our hands, but in the hands of God's people. Um, church family, this means all of us. And you know what else? We need to be speaking scripture. And I don't mean like, you know, trying to converse with them by, you know, reciting Bible verses with addresses, but I mean biblical, Bible-based um, instruction, Bible-based encouragement, Bible-based language with the young people that are, that are here. Look around this room. How many kids are in this room right now? How many children are down the hall? How many of the next generation are down the hall? Um, brothers and sisters, we all have an opportunity. We all have a calling. Um, this is our responsibility collectively that the next generation be equipped to be a generation that, that puts God first. Um, we need to be reading scripture too and with the next generation and we need to teach them how to apply it as well. Not just memorize Bible verses in a rote way, but help them to understand what does it mean and how do we live it out. We need to show them. We need to tell them. We need to teach them. Psalm 78, 4 and 5. So what is it that we tell them? What is it that we should teach them? We need to declare God's glorious deeds, his might, and the wonders that he has done. It is, first of all, it is important to teach the importance of the Bible, that it, that it is God's word. The second thing is that it's important to tell them what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do as much as we know it, and we see that in Scripture. Share the scriptural account of all three of these things, and declare, but also declare what God has done in your life, what he's doing right now. Um, what did Asaph say we should share? The glorious deeds, the things that Yahweh has done that he should be praised for. His might help them know and believe that God is all-powerful and the wonders um, that are his amazing, miraculous things that he has done. Glorious deeds. What are the most praiseworthy deeds? Um, what, what is the most praiseworthy deed that Christ has worked in the life of his people? Salvation. Yeah, not a trick question, sorry. Salvation. Yeah, absolutely. That is miraculous. That is amazing. It is praiseworthy. It's worthy to be praised for that. If he never did another thing in our lives, he is worthy to be praised. Amen? Amen. Yet he does so much more. So I'm talking first and foremost here about the story of what God has done in your life regarding salvation. Called you out, redeemed you, saved you. Have you shared that with your kids? Have you shared that with the next generation? Do, you, does, do the people in your charge know what God has done in your life? Do they know the story of, of your exodus? Do they, of your exodus from a, of, a, of a condemned life of sin into a blessed life of eternal salvation 
in the presence of the God of the universe? Do your kids know? Does the next generation know? Um, you know, he, I, I'm not going to stop here, though, with that. I want to encourage you this way. You know, when we look at our culture today, and we, most of us are guilty of this. We are, um, we are a, a quickly, a, a quick-to-forget culture. We're moving right along. Um, we drive up to the fast food window. We order our fast food. We get to the window. We pay for it. We eat it before we leave the parking lot. And by the time we hit the street, we don't even remember what we had. That is the way we live our lives. We are scrolling through our phones so quickly, we don't even know what we've seen. We are so, um, we are so 15 minutes ago. We are so moving on to the next thing. It's essential to our relationship with the Lord and to the next generation's relationship with him that we slow down and commit to memory the things that God has done that are worthy of our praise. Look at our Old Testament counterparts. They, uh, they pile up a pile of rocks and they make a name and every time they see that pile of rocks, they remember what God has done. Standing stones. We need to be thinking this way. We need to be having things that we can point the next generation to to tell them what God has done. Um, you know, and, and in one sense, that can be overwhelming because everything that God does is worthy of our praise. Amen? That should make it easy because everything that God does is worthy of our praise. We should have no trouble remembering the things that God has done that are worthy of our praise. It just comes down to being intentional. We need to be looking, thinking, thanking, and praising God with, these, with this in mind. So what are the glorious deeds of the Lord in your life, of your family's life? It, my style of teaching is I would love to have you raise your hands and tell me, but we're not going to do that. Instead, growth groups, you'll be answering this in your growth group this week. It's on your growth group questions. So come, what are the glorious deeds of the Lord in your life or in your family's life? This will be there this week. So the next thing, telling of his might. This is where the Bible comes in so handy. And it's not because God doesn't show himself mighty today. Just as scripture best illustrates his strength, his power, and his fierceness. But where has God showed himself mighty in your life? Scripture tells us his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Have you done something that God has asked you to do that you never thought you could do? And you accomplished it amazingly in the strength of the Lord. Have you ever done something that God has called you to do that you didn't think you could do or you never would have thought? Have you ever had victory over sin in your life? Have you ever had victory over sin? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. God is enabling you to overcome your sinful flesh, something that we would never choose in our own self, um, something that we struggle with. Anytime we think of or do something that is contrary to our sin nature, or I'm sorry, anytime we think or do something that is contrary to our sin nature, that's the power of God. That's God mighty in our life. So then there's the wondrous deeds. I'm going to move this through quickly because I have, we have some more fun here today. Um, there are four primary types of miracles found in Scripture. I'm not even going to go over theirs. I'm going to move us past that and just say this. God is still doing amazing, miraculous things today. The things that we see in the, in the Scripture, the miraculous things, are usually associated um, with pointing, you know, pointing our, our eyes to God, but authenticating the authority of God's agents. So that's the Bible miracles, but yet in our lives today, we see miraculous things being done all the time. There's the things that we call everyday miracles, things like breathing, our heart beating, um, just, you know, the air we have, the, the things that we don't even think about are everyday miracles. Life is an everyday miracle. 
The earth doesn't drift closer to the sun or farther away. It doesn't burn up or freeze. Metal airplanes fly. How does that work? Metal ships don't sink. I don't get that either. Um, but God has worked all that out. Humans did it. Um, but what about the things that can't be explained naturally? Um, does anyone know someone who's been miraculously healed? Someone who was not supposed to be here today, but is still around 10 years later. Um, God's amazing provision in your life when you just didn't know how you were going to make it, and yet you did. How you were going to survive this um, provision. All the different things, you know, that we see that are outside of just the natural, um, naturally explained things. Um, what are things that are wondrous and amazing? We all know someone who's been physically healed. But what about spiritual healing? Have any of you ever been spiritually healed? That's a miraculous thing as well. And I'm not just talking about our salvation, miraculous healing. I'm talking about in relationships. Have you ever seen a relationship healed um, in your life? Your marriage, maybe your marriage has been healed. Maybe you've had victory over anxiety, over drugs, over alcohol, over some other uh, sort of addiction. Um, all of those things, they're miraculous because they're not things that we would choose on our own. Here's something that, um, that God should be praised for that exhibits his might, and it is also an amazing miracle, our salvation, as we mentioned before. Do our children know the gospel, the gospel unto salvation? Not the word gospel, not the four first books of the New Testament, but the actual gospel, God's redemptive plan. Do they know God's redemptive plan? Do you know God's redemptive plan? Can you share that with them? Because if we're going to teach it to them, we better understand it, and we be, better be able to pass that along. Um, that's a whole other message that we need to preach. Um, more is caught than taught, so we need to be living out um, this Christ-like um, attitudes and behavior, and we need to be doing these things. There's several other things that are, that are um, important as well that I feel are, are worthy of, of mentioning here, but we're not going to go into in depth. Prayer. Prayer is powerful. Jesus prayed. Jesus is, is God incarnate, and what do we see him doing most repeatedly in Scripture? What is the one thing that you could say, oh yeah, Jesus did a lot of that? What is it that Jesus did a lot of that? Prayed. Pray. Yet, yet somehow we've relegated that to a, a, a secondary course of action. That's Jesus' go-to. That's Jesus' go-to. Um, prayer. We need to teach our children about repentance. If we're going to have a generation, a next generation with soft hearts, then we need to teach them to have repentant hearts. And if we're going to do that, we need to be the chief repenters. Our children are not going to learn to repent from parents and grandparents and church family members that are not repentant. So we need to be repenters. When we sin against the people God has put in our lives, we need to not only turn away from the sin and say sorry, but we need the next generation to know that we have asked for forgiveness of the person that we have offended as well as God, um, which leads us to forgiveness. God is quick to forgive us, so we should be quick to forgive others. Um, don't hold grudges. They lead to bitterness. We need to be other-centered, other-centeredness. We covered that so well throughout the Ten Commandments. Nathan did an amazing job. Love God, love others. So I wanted to say this before we wrap things up with this last passage. Maybe you have already raised kids. Maybe you're at, at a place in life where you're, you're, you've raised your kids and they've chosen to walk away. They've walked away from the church. They've walked away from the Lord. Well, right now, sitting on the throne of heaven sits a perfect father who has rebellious children who have walked away as well. And he is anxiously awaiting and hoping 
for the return of these prodigal sons and daughters. I would say this, brothers and sisters, if you find yourself there today, do the same. Pray, anxiously await, and be ready to welcome them when they come home. So now we're going to wrap it up with, um, and look at, by looking at Psalm 34. While we turn to Psalm 34, I'd like to mention this. Anita and I have taught parenting classes uh, over the course of the last 20 years, as I think I mentioned. Um, not because we have it all figured out, but again, because we wanted to be learners. We wanted to be growing in our, in our parenting. But I've noticed that so often parenting boils down to some yeses and lots of noes. Some do's and a whole lot of don'ts. David gives us a whole new approach. Let's look together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces, faces shall never be ashamed. I love that passage because look, those who look to him are radiant. The countenance of the people who trust in God is different. This is different from the world. Verse six, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them, delivers us. Now check this out. This is verse 8. This is the big is a, a big moment here. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is experiential language. This is about experiencing God. This is about experiencing Him for yourself. You know, um, I, I think and think of it in terms of this. How many of you ever watched a cooking show? Anyone ever watched a cooking show? Is watching a cooking show anything like going to a four-star restaurant? Absolutely not. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I thought it was a food analogy was appropriate there. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's experiencing, physically um, experience him, know him. When we're convinced of the truth of God's word, we believe that God is good. We believe um, the Hebrew and the Greek text um, translation for the word believe is unique to what we do. When we say we believe, oh yeah, I believe that, sure. For them, believe means to, to take a fact or a set of facts and have your life changed by it. it result, belief in their day resulted in action. It meant something. It wasn't just a set of facts. It was the reaction, the action to the set of facts. So, you know, if we believe that God is good, we're going to be able to pass this along to the next generation. But if we don't, we're, we're going to be hypocritical. We're going to be hypocrites, and they're going to see right through it. They're going to know. Let me ask you this. Is God real to you? Here's the things we need to ask ourselves. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him more than you love this world? Do you love him more than you love yourself? Think in terms of what, what is your willingness to, to sacrifice? Um, he's your pri- is he your priority? You are his priority. Is he your priority? Well, he, you're his priority beyond his glory. But we are his priority. We're his people. Um, and I would ask you this when I say, do you love him? You know, where, where, does, where does he fit into your life? How much time do you spend thinking about the Lord? How much time do you spend in his word, talking with him? Um, do you love him? When, when it comes time to sing songs in church, do you find yourself 
distracted by, I don't like that song, or I don't like that version, or I don't like this, or do you say, I don't care. God is worthy to be praised, and I'm going to sing his praises. Do you love him? Is he your priority? Do you love his word? Do you talk with him? Do you love his people? Is church a priority? Um, and, and I would challenge you in this way. What are, what are we showing our kids? Is church something we do when we have nothing else to do? Or is church meeting with God's people, singing praises, fellowshipping, and hearing from him through his word? Is that our priority? Is God our priority? As we look to these things, um, it says, oh, I shut my Bible too quick. It said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm just going to jump us ahead because look what it says here. Verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Here we are once again telling the next generation. Here we are teaching the next generation. So we need to clearly let the next generation know that God is good. We need to tell them what our good God is doing in our lives today, what he's done in our lives. We look to his word to see what he's going to do. Um, and and we, we need to not just tell them what not to do, or, or what to stay away from, or any of those things. We need to show them how to experience God, how to taste and see that the Lord is good, that our God is good. But before we can teach them to do any of this, we're going to need to be doing it ourselves. Amen? Let's commit ourselves in prayer. Father God Almighty, we are... We are inept, Lord. We are sinful. We are selfish. We... Uh, have everything we need in your righteousness through the power of your Holy Spirit, yet we um, choose to not follow your word. Father, I pray today, uh, as you've uh, been burdening my heart for this, Lord, I pray, thank, I thank you, Lord, first of all, that you forgive all of my delinquencies, all of my sinful rebellion. You forgive um, all of the missed opportunities I, that I had as a dad. Father, I pray um, for all of us, Lord, um, that we would have um, that same type of repentant heart that we would and we would want to turn from, uh, from whatever reason it was that we were delinquent in what we did, Lord, that we were overwhelmed and didn't put you first, but that today we would be called to you and we would commit to you, Lord. Father, I know that um, you have been merciful in covering over a multitude of, of my wife and, and my sins, our shortcomings, our, our foolishness, Lord, um, in the raising of our children, the next generation. I pray, Lord, too, that, um, that you would just redeem those things in the lives of our children as well in the lives of the children that are represented by the families here today. I pray, Father, that you would encourage these grandparents to make a difference in the life of their grandkids, Lord, not to, um, not to only just be the fun grandma and grandpa, Lord, but to be the godly grandma and grandpa, the godly uncles and aunts, the godly neighbors, the godly church family members, Lord, that are teaching the next generation to follow hard and fast after you. Lord, uh, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that allows us to live out the things of your word. And I just ask your blessing on this next portion of our service, Lord, where we have an opportunity to commit to you publicly in all of this. In your name we pray, Almighty God. Amen. And with that said, I'd like to invite the Anderlines, Michael and Sarah, forward, along with Jenna and Levi, because right now we're going to do a baby dedication. So a baby dedication does not save these young ones. Come on up, guys. It does not save these babies. Uh, this is not uh, uh, our equivalent of baptism. I'm going to put you guys right over here. I hope you don't mind. 
fact, I'm going to put you over here far enough that grandma and grandpa can see as well, okay? So let me get you right about here, right? Grandma and grandpa, everybody can see? Good. Yeah, so I want you to know this does not save these babies. Really, what the dedication here really is, is Michael and Sarah are dedicating themselves to bring these children up in the ways of the Lord, right? Okay, and we're going to ask a series of things where we, we ask them to respond um, to those questions. And um, so that's really cute. Um, one of our kids threw up on one of our other kids during a baby dedication. I won't say who it was. Um, so um, that was really funny. Um, so, so with that, though, you know, we're going to ask you, church family, to help with the next generation. But I want to remind you of this. Many of you have already stood up for a, a child dedication at some point or another. I know I have, and I just was so convicted by the fact that I really haven't done much to honor that commitment. So as you make that commitment today, I'd like you to be praying about how can I be a part of helping Michael and Sarah raise these two miracle babies up. Amen. Miraculous deeds right here, brothers and sisters. So um, we're going to be committing to... Um, to share with, with, these, with these young ones um, the wondrous deeds of the Lord, his miraculous, amazing deeds, his might, his strength. Um, it's a commitment to bring them up into the Lord and teach them the gospel, to teach them God's word, and to, um, and to promise that they will do everything that they can to see these children um, come to the Lord, which is his decision. So I'm going to ask you these things, and... Um, if you would respond, if you, if you agree that you would respond, we will, okay? So do you, do you today recognize your child or your children as gifts of God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you, surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives and the hope that they will belong wholly to God? Do you pledge as parents that with God's fatherly help, you will bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with patience and love to build the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord into their lives. Do you promise to provide through God's blessing for their physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs, looking to your own heavenly Father for the wisdom, love, and strength to serve them and not to use them? Do you promise God helping you to make it your regular prayer that by God's grace they will come to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and for the fulfillment of all of God's promises to them, even eternal life, and in this faith follow Jesus as Lord and to obey his teaching? All right. So they're ready. I would ask you this, are you ready? And, and before you stand, let me ask you this. Would you pledge to pray for these little ones and pledge to help these parents to live up to the promises that they just made? Will you also promise to say the hard things to them because you love them so much and because the next generation, Levi and Jenna here, really do matter, not only to God, but to us and to them. If you agree with those things, please stand in commitment. All right, I'm going to pray for them briefly, and then I'm going to ask Daniel to come and close us. Father in heaven, oh, mighty God, what a 
miraculous gift these two are, Lord. Um, you have shown yourself mighty in the deliverance of these two little ones. I thank you, too, for, um, for Michael and Sarah. I thank you, for Lord, for the way you have used them to bless my life, Lord. You have um, done so much um, for me through them, and I thank you for that. And I know that the same is true, Lord, as they have served in this church, that you have used them to be a blessing to others, Lord. Father, um, I pray, Lord, as we pray for, for Levi and Jenna, Lord, the next generation, that all of us would be committed wholly to you, Lord, in raising them up in your ways. Father, thank you, too, for this church family again that would, um, that would be willing to commit to do the hard things, Lord, along with these parents. Pray your blessing, Lord, now. In your name we pray, Almighty God. Amen. All right, thank you, guys. So sweet. I just want to dismiss us with a quick word from God's word. Romans 6, 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's do that this week.